This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead. This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Today I have Hans Box here with Old Capital. He's going to tell you all about his experience investing in real estate in Central Texas and what he does to help real estate investors here. Hey, Hans, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on, Jordan. Doing great. Glad we were able to get this recorded finally. I know we've been talking for quite a while about getting one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for the delay. We're no both busy. Worries. I know you're very busy, so I'm glad to have you on, and I won't take up too much of your valuable time. Of course. <laughs> um, so real quick, Hans, tell our listeners who you are and how you're involved with real estate investing in the Austin area. Sure. So uh, I, I'm, I'm involved in real estate in two capacities. I, as you mentioned, I work um, at Old Capital Lending. We're a, a, a senior mortgage loan broker based in DFW, but uh, Texas is is our main playing field, although we lend nationally. We did a billion last year originations, and I'm basically our Austin office, Austin, San Antonio, Central Texas, South Texas. That's kind of my area, although I do lending, you know, I've lent in Houston, Dallas, and all over the country. So it really depends on where the client is. It doesn't really matter where we are. Uh, so I've been doing that for quite a, quite a while. And in addition, I'm also a full-time syndicator. I have a business partner and we've done, uh, 13 or 14 funds and we've raised north of 35 to $40 million in equity for these deals. So, um, so I kind of, I wear two hats every day. I'm, I, uh, make loans and it helps me stay on top of the real estate market in terms of, you know, just getting the what's going on in the market. And at the same time, I'm looking for deals myself. And I know you do a lot of cool stuff here in and around Austin, both on the loan side mm -hmm. and on the investing side too. So real quick, tell our listeners who old capital is and kind of what, what size loans or what type of loans they sure. do. Listeners. Sure. So we, we are a mortgage broker. We we are not the lender. We are a broker, just like a real estate broker, but we broker loans. And we typically play in the space of about a million dollar loan up to, it can be north of 40 or 50. For instance, I'm working on closing a $31 million student housing deal uh, next week. So it's it really depends. But Multifamily is mainly what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, we do other asset classes. I've done retail self-storage and things like that. But I would say 80 to 90% of our business is multifamily. And probably 70, 75% is Texas multifamily. Um, we, we do a ton of agency lending, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae. But we also have relationships with pretty much every bank and credit union that will lend in the real estate space across Texas. So, you know, if you know, a lot of borrowers come to us and use us to, because if, if you go Fannie and Freddie and it doesn't work out halfway through down the deal, we know who to take it to, to save the deal. So you don't lose your earnest money or your, or their money that went hard and to close the deal. And we also specialize a lot with first time borrowers, uh, we have borrowers that own thousands and thousands of units, but we also work a lot with newer borrowers that are looking to buy that first $2 million deal. that might be a Freddie SBL type deal. Awesome. And 
I know you, I've worked with you on some smaller stuff. So as small as a six unit in San Antonio, and you were getting great terms for the buyer there, stuff that I hadn't even heard of. I've got a few commercial loans and I heard his terms said, man, I, I need that. <laughs> um, but that's why you for, call us. Yeah, there you go. That's why you call the pros. Um, for people listening that don't know what the small balance loans are, and why they might be more favorable than just going to your local credit union. Could you explain that real quick? Happy to, happy to. So the small balance loans are, are mainly Freddie Mac. Fannie Mae has a small balance program, but it's not very competitive with Freddie. Its rates are higher. So Freddie put together this program about five years ago because they were getting beat out on these smaller deals that were 6 million and under in loan proceeds. They were getting, them, they were getting beat out by local banks and credit unions. So they, they put together this loan program to compete and compete. It does. Cause it, you know, it's by far the best, the best program out there for your, I don't know, a lot it, around 1 million to 6 million is the sweet spot. It's really, that's the area for S, Freddie SBL. And, you know, the terms are, uh, I'll just compare them. It's 30 year AM versus a bank, which might be 20 or 25. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it can be anywhere from a five to seven to 10 to 12 to anything really you want balloon term versus a bank that's usually max six uh, with a, and this is fixed rate. Um, you get you typically can get if you do a 10 year deal with with uh, Freddie, you can get three years of interest only, which is great, especially when you're buying at these low cap rates and need some cash flow in the first few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot get IO really with banks and credit unions, unless the deal uh, is a major rehab or a major turnaround, then they will give some IO, but not on a stabilized deal. So Freddie is for stabilized deals that have upside value add that, you know, say it's 90% occupied, but you can raise rents, you can get it to 95, you can do some rehab and do some upgrades, you can improve the exterior. That's a lot of people buy deals like that where Freddie works because it's still stabilized. It was, it's 90% occupancy. Mm-hmm. Freddie won't lend on the, on a deal that's 65% occupancy or anything like that. Um, rates are probably could be anywhere from uh, half a point to a point better than banks and credit unions for comparable deals. So not only is it IO, not only is it 30 year AM, but it also has better rates. And then the, the, the big catch is their non-recourse. Banks and credit unions, uh, I'm sure your listeners know, are are typically recourse for the most part, meaning they can reach into your pocket if you have to get back the keys and they lose money on the deal. But uh, with Freddie, you can't. You just hand him the keys and you can walk away. Now, your credit will be destroyed, but at least your personal assets will be protected. So a lot of our borrowers just unequivocally want non-recourse when they get these kind of loans. Yeah, especially if you're getting a bigger deal like that, you don't want to owe somebody ten million dollars on something you put together, or sorry, you'd be five million dollars on something you put together, and it went belly up because maybe your partners messed it up, and your name's right. on the line, and you're in trouble. So, interest only. I, I want to talk about that real quick. So, when I first heard of interest only, it sounded risky to me, being uneducated and not understanding it. The more I understood understood it. I realized that, hey, you know, it's actually a great opportunity to fix up a property and get things going before you start paying those higher payments. But explain interest only real quick for our listeners, just just real mm-hmm. quickly if you're able. 
Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community, and now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Sure. So... For an example, if you got a 10-year balloon note with Freddie SBL, uh, the first three years, you know, for the most part, if the deal underwrites well and has a good debt service coverage ratio and, and basically meets the, all the rules, you can get three years of uh, what we call IO or interest only. And that means for the first 36 months, you are literally just paying interest on the loan. You are not amortizing the loan at all. You're not paying down any principal. So the advantage that gives obviously is your your monthly payment, your annual payment is lower, which increases your cash flow. So if you have investors, you can make a a higher distribution than you would if it was being being paid via principal. Uh, And and I have heard that argument from, from some newbies about that's higher risk. Well, if you don't plan ahead, right, and you uh, you know, yeah, you're not paying down principal, but you're also getting money back in your pocket, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd rather have money in my pocket. I can always pay down the principal. Sure. I'd rather have the money in my pocket and be able to use it, like you said, to do. And if you don't distribute it, you can use it to do upgrades and rehab and things like that to improve the, the overall value of the property. So, I mean, most of our borrowers mm-hmm. get as much interest only as they possibly can. Uh, there's, we always push for the most. Yeah, and I think it makes a lot of sense when you're doing a value add project too, and you need to turn over a lot of units, and maybe you'll have a little more vacancy for the first few years than you're planning on having once you've got this nice new place and it's in great shape. So, yep. um, really cool explanation there of interest only. So, Hans, um, I know you guys are all about Texas at Old Capital. That obviously one of the first conferences I went to. You just hear him talk about Texas, Texas, Texas. Why do you choose to invest in Central Texas yourself? I know you're here in Austin, but what are your reasons to not invest in, let's say, uh, Memphis? Well, I invest everywhere, to be clear, but uh, in a lot of different places. But, you know, Austin is a the the jobs and the population growth are what drive any of these markets. And I don't really think you can pick a better place than Austin. Uh, and you can't pick a better state, you know, maybe Florida is comparable in terms of business climate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, Austin has this unique combination of liv- livability. People just want to live here. Like they do Southern California, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it's nice Two, it's, it's got a huge university, even though I'm an Aggie, I'll admit that UT students are smart <laughs> and, and they, there's a ton of talent that comes out of that university. So there's a ton of, uh, of available, you know, uh, talent for new companies to hire, especially tech talent. And, um, and it's still relatively affordable. Uh, so you put all those combination of things together. Um, and, and Austin is, is kind of a no brainer. Um, I just invested with a, with a borrower of mine in a deal here in Austin, actually. So it's a class C apartment deal here in Austin. Cool. Um, I'll ask you more about that later off the camera here, but uh, I'm actually looking at investing in a project here in Austin and it's coming up. Um, So Hans, obviously you're heavily involved in the real estate investing space. 
you know Texas like the back of your hand. Why did you initially get attracted to real estate investing? Well, that's a long story, but uh, long story. I mean, basically, I was a, I'm a CPA. I'm a recovering CPA, um, oh, yeah. and yeah, and I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers for nine years or so. And right after the financial crisis, after seeing all the layoffs, I didn't get laid off, and it was a Pricewaterhouse is a very good company, and they didn't lay anybody off. But uh, I saw what happened to a lot of people, you know, across our state and across our country. And I decided, you know what, I don't want to rely on a W-2 the rest of my life. I want to rely on myself. And so I started buying rent houses. And so I bought, you know, a bunch of rent houses in Dallas-Fort Worth. That's where I was at the time. And then made an executive decision to quit and partner up with a guy that needed help with accounting. And he was going to mentor me in multifamily. And this was, this is 09 or 2009 or something like that, somewhere around there. Yeah. So it was a heck of a time to get into multifamily. And, uh, and so that, you know, that, that was a interesting partnership. I did learn a lot, but in the end, uh, in a deal that I put most of my net worth in myself and another passive investor in that deal had to basically kick him out because he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, producing as the sponsor. And, uh, that's how I was just basically trial by fire. That's how I learned multifamily. Cause suddenly the partner, all the other passive partners invited, uh, voted myself and this other partner to take over the deal because the, nothing was happening. We were lo- worried about losing our principal. And so we took over the deal, turned it around, you know, hired a good management company to help turn it around, asset manage it and sold it uh, for a decent profit. Considering we were starting behind the eight ball and uh, probably at negative, we, we sold it a decent profit. And so that's how I got started with my current business partner. That passive investor is now my business partner. And, uh, and that, that, that group of investors was our first set of investors that did future deals. Obviously we've grown a lot since then, but, uh, that, that initial set was kind of our, our beginning set of investors. So it was, it was kind of intentional, but some of it wasn't, Mm -hmm. uh, but I got into real estate long story short. So I didn't have to rely on a salary my whole life. Absolutely. And it sounds like you found something you love doing on a day-to-day basis that you can keep doing while you also invest in real estate. Uh, right. I really like that. I That's how I am. I, I love what I do. I don't want to stop doing it, but I also want to invest on the side. So, mm-hmm. you know, and build that as big as I can. You know, funny, I agree. I mean, I, I treat I treat investing as a second job, right? So I passively invest too, and that has become a second job as well. And you have to, to or you you know, you'll make mistakes. So sorry to interrupt. You were going to say oh, no. You're you're fine. I was just going to say I have talked to a lot of CPAs who are also real estate investors because they just see how powerful it is. I'm sure when you're processing all those write offs and all that depreciation, mm-hmm. you start to say, "Hey, I, I should get into this." Yeah, you would think so. I I didn't do that kind of taxes, but uh, when I was a CPA, I was doing more of a uh, legal state tax, legal consulting around structuring entities, but it was, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, you would think most CPAs would be lured toward real estate when they see all the, all the write-offs we get. Yeah. Um, so Hans, you've seen a lot of deals go sideways. I always like to ask our guest, what's some advice you have or some things to look out for when you're doing a real estate deal. So I know as a lender, you see things go sideways all the time. What's one piece of advice you'd give people who are looking to buy, say their, their first multifamily property 
and what to look out for in those cases? Yeah, I think the the most important, if you're a new buyer and you're buying a deal, let's say a two or $3 million deal, your team is the most important. So before you jump jump the gun and try to start you know, making offers on all these properties, make sure, number one, that you have a group of investors that are ready to invest and that you can actually raise the equity. Because mm-hmm. I've seen investors lose deals because they can't raise the equity quick enough and they didn't have, they weren't prepared beforehand. You need to have a good transactional attorney on your team. If you're raising money, you need to have a good SEC attorney on your team. You need to have a good insurance broker. Uh, you know, two two of the biggest knobs in terms of expenses on multifamily is insurance and property taxes. Mm-hmm. So you need to have a good insurance broker and you need to have a good property tax consultant to fight because you basically have to fight taxes every year in Texas. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you you guys know that for single family for sure. And multifamily, it's just bad or worse. So it oh, feels wow. like anyway. Yeah, it's pretty bad. So, you know, and then I, the single most important I guess partner you can pick, in my opinion, unless you're self-managing, but for a new borrower, you almost you have to hire a, a professional third-party management company. And picking that the right company for the right market for the right size deal that kind of fits your temperament and how you like to work with people, that's key because a, a management company can take a home run deal and run it into the ground. And can, they can also take a crappy deal and make it a home run. It, it, the management company is extremely important. And I think that's important no matter what size asset we're talking about, whether it's a single family house or 200 unit apartment complex, probably exponentially more important as they get bigger. Right. But, you know, you can fix a single family problem pretty easily. A management company just really messes up on 200 units. That's a lot more. Yeah. You have to make Yeah. Agree. And a lot of people, you know, that are getting new to the business, they have trouble saying, well, I don't want to give up that three and a half percent fee or whatever to hire somebody that is professional. But you have to remember, you're buying an asset, say it's three or four million dollars, you're buying a three or four million dollar business. So that business needs to be run professionally. It's not, you know, it's 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 not something you just toy around with and just, you know, put a manager on site and say, okay, go at it. It's you're running a business and you have to run it professionally to be successful. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I love that. Good property managers can cost you a ton of money or they can make you a lot of money. So find the right person for the job. I love that you were saying there, it is a business and you need to run it like a business. And if you're running a business, you don't want the the C team employee facing all the customers. That's correct. Same idea. Same idea. Your customers being the... The uh, the people leasing your property and and you know I've seen vacancies. I mean man, the the deal I gave you an example of was we had a we had one management company in that deal that we didn't want and we didn't agree with that the other sponsor wanted in the deal, and once we got him out, we hired the management company we wanted to get in, and she immediately turned the deal around for us. So it was a big difference. So you have to be very very picky about your management companies. Yeah. No. Great advice there. So Hans, if you were talking to a newer investor looking to get into their first, let's say, small balance loan size deal, it's $2 million, what's the biggest thing you'd tell them? Obviously, get their team together, make sure they have a great team, things are going to go wrong there. But if they're just getting started, where do you tell people to start? Well, I think you have to get, you have to nail down the markets that you want to buy in. Uh, and, and get a good understanding of the markets and the sub markets. And then you start meeting brokers 
and you prove to the brokers by getting together the team that I said earlier, if you get the team together, get your equity together, the broker will then believe that you're not just kicking tires and that you're for real. Um, and, and so I, I think the best thing is, is to basically understand the exact markets you want and pinpoint what you want. So you can, when you see a deal, you can jump because right now you have to move extremely fast. Um, and it, I know it's that way in single family and it's just as bad really in multifamily, at least based on what I'm seeing. Um, you know, and the only other, uh, I guess the other item that I would stress is that new borrowers, they typically, no matter how much I warn them up front that they're, you know, this is Freddie Mac, this is a pseudo governmental entity. So there's going to be some bureaucracy in terms of paperwork and things like that to get a Freddie deal done. And no matter how much I tell these new borrowers, they are always surprised. So just assume it's going to be awful. And, and there will be, it will be a very long process to get to, you know, to, to get through with Freddie and, but we're here to hold your hand the whole way. And you're going to get by far the best terms you're going to get. And you look a year back, you're going to be like, I'm glad I, you know, went through that 60 to 75 days with Freddie to get this really good loan. So just be prepared with your documentation and be organized. And that will make the loan process go so much smoother. Most of our hiccups with loans are because the borrower is very disorganized, doesn't answer questions fully, or doesn't answer questions timely. Th those are our biggest issues. So for new borrowers, just you know, stay on top of your paperwork and, and please answer emails as soon as they come in from myself and Freddie Mac. Yeah, no, I know it's the same way with, with residential stuff too. Um, you know, you mentioned being quick on the draw, Hans. Um, obviously, you're both a loan officer and an investor. What's your best advice for underwriting a deal quickly. So if a, a 50 unit apartment complex comes in your email inbox, how do you look at it quickly to figure out if it's something you're interested in? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks guys. Well, um, typically I'll, I'll look at the, I'll try to back into a purchase cap rate, like what the true cap rate would be if I ran it versus, so current income. And then I take expenses that would be my pro forma expenses, not the seller's expenses, but what I think the actual expenses would be. And then I get an idea of the cap rate I'm buying at. And if I, you know, that, that may cancel right there. If it's a two cap and it's a stabilized deal, I'm not buying that because I'm just buying the dirt, right? But if it's, you know, you're in Austin and it's a five cap or four and a half cap and and looks like it might have some upside, then you maybe dive in deeper and and do a little bit fuller underwriting of the deal, figure out, okay, the loan might be 70, 75% loan to value. Here's my, here's my, you know, a guess on the interest rate, IO, does it, does it produce enough cash flow to warrant buying? So the probably the first thing I look at is, is my own cap rate. And, and then I go from there. Awesome. Um, and just real quick, I, I like to explain terms to listeners. I hear, I know listeners hear IO and, and don't know what that is. Uh, we explain that for mm -hmm. cap rate. Could you explain what a cap rate is and why that's important for somebody listening? Sure. So it's, it's short for capitalization rate mm -hmm. and it is effectively the rate. If you didn't have any debt on the property, it's, it's basically the, your rate of return. If you bought the property all cash with no debt. Yep. So a 5% cap means you make 5% on, on your money because you paid 
cash, $2 million for the deal. So as cap rates go down, that means prices go up. They're inversely related. And as cap rates go up, prices go down. So, you know, you'll see stuff in Austin that's class A stuff that's in the threes because it's number one, the dirt's expensive. So that that ups the price of the property. Number two, it's in Austin. Number three, it's a new deal. So the risk is supposedly lower. So that's why the cap rates get what they call compressed. They get lower and lower. So somebody's willing to pay when they say a three cap, they're willing to pay basically for to make three percent a year right? Mm-hmm. On, on their money if they were buying it cash. Um, and so the cap rate is important because it gives you a high level idea of wh- how the deal is priced up front. It's not the be all end all. There's, if you buy a distressed deal, let's 80% occupied, the cap rate might be two, but the upside could be huge because you got 20% occupancy in the fill. So it's not the be all end all, but it is, to me, it's more important on stabilized assets to look at the cap rate. On, on, on a distressed deal that's 50% occupied, the cap rate doesn't really mean much. Sure. And I think, you know, if somebody's listening is thinking, well, why wouldn't I want a 10 cap? And then you got to think about where, where 10 caps are located. So if you can find something that's an eight or a 10 cap, which you might be able to in some really rough areas right now, you know, it might seem like, well, that's a great deal, but your risk is a lot higher there. And then, and then if you're newer and you don't understand so well how commercial property is valued, if you buy a 10 cap and you raise rents just a little bit, they're they're going up the price or the price of the property goes up, value the property. But mm-hmm. if you buy something at a five cap and you raise rents, it goes up exponentially there too. So yeah, double <laughs> over the 10. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good example. It's logarithmic. And plus, like like you said, it's riskier. You buy a deal and the honestly that a 10 cap is going to be in the ghetto somewhere you're what is your exit right i mean you suddenly reduced your buyer the for your exit on the deal who's going to buy that deal your your buyer pool just shrunk a ton versus if you bought like a you know a b or c class in a working class neighborhood in dallas houston austin san antonio you have a large buyer pool but you don't have a huge buyer pool that's willing to buy class d properties in in the rough areas of dallas and houston and they want a discount typically too. They're going to. They would want there. a discount, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the, the the types that do buy those properties are going to are basically going to shot a low volume. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I I love talking to people about stuff like that, and it's always, oh well, why wouldn't you want a higher cap rate property? And maybe if you can find a good deal in a nice area that's at a higher cap rate than something else you were looking at, great. Mm-hmm. But it's not always better. Higher cap, right. not always better at all. Not at all. To understand that. And remember to always look at the, the difference between the cap rate and the debt. That's your spread. That's kind of the money you can make. So if you buy something at a six cap and you can get 3% debt and it's leveraged at 75%, just mathematically, you're going to make a good, you're going to make good cash flow on the deal because there's enough spread between the six and the three leveraged at 75%. You did you like to see a three point spread? I know a lot of people talk about a three point spread. I don't. That was just an example. I mean, I don't have a hard bust rule. Uh, I, I just want to underwrite it, and the cash flow has to hit our minimums. That's all. Sure. Um, real quick, while we're talking cap rates, how do you see cap rates vary from, let's say, self storage, retail, com, uh, commercial, residential, multifamily? 
and office assets, stuff like that. Where are cap rates yeah. the highest right now that you're seeing? Probably office or retail, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, probably retail. Although it depends on what kind of office. I mean, there's so many different types, right? You're talking about the high rise downtown, the Google building, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, you're talking about a, a class C property out, you know, in Pflugerville or something. So, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I would say overall, yes, it's going to be office or retail. Most likely retail is a little higher, probably the highest, you know, and then self storage is not that far off from multifamily. It is the, the cause I, we've done three self storage deals and they are just, they're really compressed. We've had, we couldn't find, we have not been able to find something to buy over the last few years because they, the cap rates are, are crazy. I mean, we sold our last one in the fours and it wasn't, it wasn't a class A deal. It was a class B deal maybe. Uh, so self storage is really tight right now. Um, and of course, mobile home parks are probably the highest cap rate if you can find them in the right, you know, with the right, in the right area. That's mm-hmm. kind of a little bit of a different asset class. Yeah. And they've gotten extremely competitive too. But like you're saying, if you can find one in the right area that's not 75% vacant or just completely vacant, right? You're typically in a good spot to be. Yep. Uh, Hans. What's your best advice for people looking to invest in Austin? So let's say they're looking to buy a single family to a to 20 or 30 unit in Austin. What do you tell people to do that are thinking about coming to Austin? And maybe it's don't come to Austin, but I don't know. What <laughs> well, my first question is, are you a cash flow investor? Because mm-hmm. if you're a cash flow investor and you're looking to buy a 50 to 100 unit in, in central Austin, it's probably not your best place to go. Right. You, you should probably try to at least go out, you know, Hutto, Pflugerville, go further out, Round Rock or, you know, even then it's going to be tough. Really, Kyle, Buda, uh, you'll have better luck in San Antonio for pure cash flow deals mm-hmm. and more of the tertiary markets like Waco and Temple. Um, you know, so I, I tell borrowers that want to buy here. I'm like, oh, you know, that's great. I, you know, and I, I think if you I think if you're going to buy in Austin, you have to be a long term holder. Uh, I, you know, to be safe, right? Because we never know when the next market downturn is going to happen. But as an overall trajectory, I think Austin is up for the long term. Oh, yeah. uh, we just don't, we don't know what the short term is. And and because it's so expensive right now, you need to know, you, know, you need to have the ability to hold on to it and let it appreciate because it's, you're going to make your return on, on appreciation, not on cash flow in Austin. Yeah. Not, not typically. Yeah, no, I think it's it's important to differentiate there too. I talk to people that have all different types of goals. And if your goal is just cash flow, maybe Austin isn't the place for you. But if your goal is to make build a lot of long term wealth, probably a yeah. great place to be because your property is going to be worth a lot more than what you bought it for ten years from now. Just make sure you have enough spread built in between your debt payment and and uh, how much money you're making your NOI. Make sure you can cover that debt, especially when that interest only period uh, goes away and you start paying principal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hans, do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? Huh. Uh, wasn't prepared for that one. Let me think here. <laughs> uh, you know, one book that I recently, a buddy of mine wrote that I've got right by me right here is really good for the first time investor. And this is more for passive investors probably, but, uh, I would, I would highly recommend this book. 
oh. lifestyle investor by awesome Justin book. Donald. Yep. Um, you know, and then the other stuff is, is just the standard answers that all of us real estate guys have read. You know, if you're brand, 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 brand new, just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, just start with that. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's where you should start, you know, the richest man from Babylon and, and, and books like that. And then, you know, I don't read specific real estate books anymore. Uh, but those are the, those are the ones I, I started with, you know, and now I'm reading more stuff like the one I just showed you, things like that, that kind of the next level of that stuff. That's a great book too. Lifestyle investor. I read that a few months ago and really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's, it's easy. It's an easy read. Yeah. I, I knocked it out pretty quick. So Hans, last question, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to reach you guys at old capital? And Oh yeah. When is the old capital conference this year? It's not scheduled yet because uh, we're still we're still waiting to uh, schedule it for sure. Uh, and hopefully it'll be in person this year. Yeah. So we don't know yet. Uh, we'll keep you posted. Um, as for uh, how to contact me, I can be reached at 214-641-6309. And uh, you can shoot me an email at H, B as in boy, O as in Oscar, X as in x-ray, at old capital lending all one word.com uh and you could go to old capital's website and find me on there and my my email and contact information is on there as well yeah absolutely super helpful guy if you're looking to do commercial deals in the well really anywhere in the u.s but especially if you're looking to do commercial deals here in central texas Hans is very helpful get a hold of him and he will make your life a lot easier when you're buying property oh thanks jordan that's our that's our goal yeah. Last real question here, Hans. What's your favorite restaurant in Austin? I would have to say Sway, Sway Westlake. Um, mm-hmm. it, I like the Sway on first, but they closed it. <laughs> so uh, Sway is really good. I, I love that place. Um, they, it's a unique, unique food and it's kind of this, I don't know, fusion of some sorts. And it's really good. I, I've never had a bad meal there. Yeah, you're actually the second person on this podcast to mention that. So <laughs> go check out Sway, guys. <laughs> All it's right. A beautiful view there. Yeah, great. Um, Hans, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate all your knowledge. Anybody has any questions on commercial lending, reach out to Hans. He would love to help. Um, go to the old Capital Podcast when, or sorry, conference when they get that scheduled and listen to the Old Capital Podcast, also a great podcast. But Hans, thank you so much. I'll talk to you here soon. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate it.